Hello, English 11. Welcome to chapter two, part two. I'm scooching my chair forward. Just FYI, my family's making lunch in the background. So if you hear some people chatting away, that's them. All right. Um, so I don't know why, I don't know why, but my episode, my chapter two, part one didn't get posted until just now. So if you haven't listened to chapter two, part one, go ahead and do that first. That episode's like 18 minutes long. So it's not going to take you that much. That first episode takes you from the beginning of the chapter all the way through a page, on my paperback. It's the top of page 35. It's basically everything from the Valley of Ashes, and then we get to the apartment. We call the McKees. Catherine arrives. And then, um, then Nick starts to drink pretty heavily. So on page 35, where I'm going to start right now, the party is happening, and we're going to talk a lot about how Myrtle... Um, sort of reemerges as a character in the second half of chapter two in some funny, awkward moments and some not funny moments also. Okay. So let's get started. So the one thing on page 35 in my paperback, it says Mrs. Wilson had changed her costume sometime before and now was now attired in an elaborate afternoon dress of cream colored chiffon, which gave out a continual rustle as she swept about the room. I love this detail that when she walks, she like makes this noise because she's clearly trying to attract attention to herself, but also like, it's kind of like not a real classy move is to have your dress, like make a noise all the time. Um, all right. I want to keep reading with the influence of the dress. Her personality had undergone a change. The intense vitality that had been so remarkable in the garage was converted into impressive hauteur. Her laughter, her gestures, her assertions became more violently affected moment by moment as she expanded the room, grew as as she and as she expanded, the room grew smaller around her until she seemed to be revolving on a noisy, creaking pivot through the smoky air. My dear, she told her sister in a high mincing shout, most fellas these fellas these days will treat will cheat you every time. Okay, so guys, here's what's happening to Myrtle. She's at her own party now officially sort of like as Tom's mistress. And she has transformed into almost this caricature, right? She's trying to be high class in so many ways, but it's, it's almost like the harder she tries, the more obvious it becomes that she's not high class because she's, she's, it's not real. Okay. Then at the bottom of this page, um, Mr. McKee says, I like your dress remarked. Oh, Mrs. McKee. Sorry. I like your dress remarked Mrs. McKee. I think it's adorable. Mrs. Wilson rejected the compliment by raising her eyebrow in disdain. It's just a crazy old thing. She said, I just slip it on sometimes when I don't care what I look like. Now, this is obviously a hundred percent not true. She is desperate to impress people, but she doesn't accept the compliment. She says what she thinks she is supposed to say, which is, oh, I'm, I'm not even trying right now. I'm not even trying. I don't even care, which is, of course, the opposite of what is actually happening. Okay, so moving on, as the party continues, um, we have this um, really, I don't even know what to say, this dialogue among the characters, but they don't really connect with each other. And this is a big theme of the book is like, there's a real lack of, I don't even want to use the word intimacy, but like nobody's actually friends with each other. Everyone's just sort of trying to get from one scene. I don't mean scene. I mean like everyone just wants to be at a party to be at a party, right? Like to be, to say that they were there, but nobody really knows each other. Um, we have this whole dialogue on page 36 where Mr. McKee and Mrs. McKee talk about 
like taking photographs and um, no one was really listening to him. And Tom, of course, is listening to no one. Um, okay. And then at the bottom of page 36, the, um, the topic turns to Gatsby. So I want to read this. It says the sister Catherine sat down beside me on the couch. Do you live down on Long Island too? She inquired. And he said, or Nick says, I live at West Egg. Really? I was down there at a party about a month ago at a man named Gatsby's. Do you know him? And Nick says, I live next door to him. Well, this is Catherine, the sister talking. They say he's a nephew or a cousin of Kaiser Wilhelm's. That's where all his money comes from. Really? She nodded. And this is Catherine talking. I'm scared of him. I hate to, I'd hate him to get anything on me. This absorbing information about my neighbor was suddenly interrupted. Okay, but this is really the first, um, this is the first of many rumors we're going to hear about Gatsby. And he's going to be starting now this very mysterious character for Nick. Like Nick sees him and remember he's in that weird pose out on the dock. He doesn't know anything about him. And as the story is going to continue, he's going to get more and more of these rumors. So the first rumor is that he's a nephew or cousin of Kaiser Wilhelm's. And then this, of course, scares Catherine, the sister. Okay. Um, so then Myrtle, sorry, excuse me. Um, Catherine and Nick continue to chat. And I want to read this right here. Um, Nick says... Uh, or sorry, one of the McKees say, I'd like to do more work on Long Island if I could get the entry. All I ask is that they should give me a start. Ask Myrtle, said Tom, breaking into a short shout of laughter as Mrs. Wilson entered with a tray. She'll give you a letter of introduction, won't you, Myrtle? Do what? She asked, startled. You'll give McKee a letter of introduction to your husband so he can, he can do some studies of him. His lips moved silently for a moment as he invented George B. Wilson at gasoline pump or something like that. Pause. Tom here is like blatantly making fun of Myrtle's husband, which is kind of a low blow. He's already having an affair with the guy's wife. Hey, stop the yelling. Um, and, and just wait, because when the reciprocal happens, when Myrtle tries to make fun of Daisy, oh, snap. There's going to be a consequence for that. Okay. Then Catherine says to Nick, neither of them, meaning Tom and Myrtle, neither of them can stand the person they're married to. Can't they? Can't stand them. She looked at Myrtle and then at Tom. What I say is, why go on living with them if they can't stand them? If I was them, I'd get a divorce and get married to each other right away. Okay. Here we go, people. Let's ask ourselves a good question. Does Tom want to get a divorce from Daisy and marry Myrtle? Uh, no. It is extremely clear to the reader that this is just what he does. He's married to Daisy the whole time and has random affairs with women. But he has led Myrtle to believe that, you know, oh, if I could, I would divorce my wife and marry you. Okay, let's keep reading. Doesn't she like Wilson either? The answer to this was unexpected. It came from Myrtle, who had overheard the question, and it was violent and obscene. You see, cried Catherine triumphantly. She lowered her voice again. It's really his wife, meaning Daisy, that's keeping them apart. She's Catholic, and they don't believe in divorce. And then Nick says to himself, or to us, the reader, Daisy was not a Catholic, and I was a little shocked at the elaborateness of the lie. 
So you got to think for a second. This is, I think, one of your questions. Okay, so who told who the lie? Tom, of course, told Myrtle that he couldn't divorce his wife. It was impossible because she's, quote, super Catholic and doesn't believe in divorce. That is a total lie. He, of course, would never marry Myrtle in a million years because they are of a different social class. Period. Okay. Now, um, let's keep going, guys. We are, um, we've got a little more to do. All right. So on the next page, as Myrtle and Catherine are talking about Myrtle's marriage to George, um, Myrtle talks about marrying him. And she said, um, the only, the only crazy I was when I, the only crazy I was, was when I married him. I knew right away I made a mistake. He borrowed somebody's best suit to get married in and never told me about it. And the man came after it one day when he was out. She looked around to see who was listening. Oh, is that your suit? I said, this is the first I ever heard about it, but I gave it to him. And then I lay down and cried to the beat to beat the band all afternoon. Okay. So what happens is she, her, her husband does not own a suit and you want to think again, guys, it's all about social class. What is your social class? If you do not own a suit, Myrtle knows the answer to this and she feels like she's been tricked and the lack of a suit, right? Like you're working a certain job. He's working in a garage if you don't have a suit. So she realizes that he doesn't even have a suit and she is devastated by this, which of course shows us how much Myrtle values social class, which is why she's obsessed with Tom. Okay. Then I just want to read this little clip at the bottom of the page. It says the bottle of whiskey, a second one was now in constant demand by all present. So again, booze is a big deal in this book. And we're going to have Myrtle's party in chapter two and Gatsby's party in chapter three. And I want you to notice this magical word called juxtaposition, which means when two things are put side by side and we can compare them. Both parties are being juxtaposed, but you, I know you haven't read the second part yet. So you want to notice, like, how did the guests act at Myrtle's party? How is the booze served at Myrtle's party? Right now, it's all one shared bottle of whiskey, which is kind of gross in my opinion, and um, not very high class. And that's like, of course, what we're looking for. Okay. So then let's keep going. Um, <laughs> I laugh at this part because in the old movie that was made in the 70s, this scene is so weird. They like zoom in so close to Myrtle's face. Okay. In the middle of page 40, Myrtle pulls up a chair to Nick and she gets really close to his face. And she wants to tell Nick the story of when she first met Tom. So here's the story. She says... It was on, I'm going to try to do a Myrtle voice, but I'm not very good. This is a long monologue. It was on the two little seats facing each other that are always the last ones on the train. I was going up to New York to see my sister and spend the night. He had on a dress suit and patent leather shoes, and I couldn't keep my eyes off him. But every time he looked at me, I had to pretend to be looking at the advertisement over his head. When we came into the station, he was next to me and his white shirt front pressed against my arm. And so I told him I'd have to call a policeman, but he knew I lied. I was so excited that when I got into a taxi with him, I didn't hardly know I wasn't getting on a subway train. All I kept thinking over and over was, you can't live forever. You can't live forever. Okay, so that's like how the affair began, which is really, 
you know, these two are just sort of lusting after each other. She sees, again, what does she notice about Tom? That he's wearing a suit and patent leather shoes. So it's all about this unachievable social class for Myrtle Wilson. She can't achieve this social class on her own, especially be married to George. And she's a female, which means she can't pursue a job and climb out herself. So, so her, she's having this affair with Tom. Okay. Guys, up next in chapter two is this huge moment. So here we go. On page 41, it's getting late. It's nine o'clock and people have been drinking all night. And remember, it's the 20s. Drinking is a big part of this book. Okay, so um, in the middle of page 41, it says, the little dog was sitting on the table looking with blind eyes through the smoke from time to time groaning faintly. Remember the dog she bought? It's like still sitting there in the middle of the party. People disappeared, reappeared, made plans to go somewhere, and then lost each other, searched for each other, found each other a few feet away. Sometime toward midnight, Tom Buchanan and Mrs. Wilson stood face-to-face discussing in impassioned voices whether Mrs. Wilson had any right to mention Daisy's name. Okay, buckle up, everybody. Daisy, 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 shouted Mrs. Wilson. I'll say it whenever I want to. So clearly they're having an argument about how Tom is saying you're not allowed to say her name. And Myrtle is insisting I can say her name whenever I want to. Okay, so hold on. Let's do it again. Daisy, 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 shouted Mrs. Wilson. I'll say it whenever I want to. Daisy, Daisy. Making a short, deft movement, Tom Buchanan broke her nose with his open hand. What? Let's keep reading. There was there were bloody towels upon the bathroom floor and women's voices scolding and high over the confusion a long broken wail of pain. Mrs. McKee awoke from his Mrs. Mr. McKee awoke from his doze and started in a daze toward the door. When he had gone halfway he turned around and stared at the scene. His wife and Catherine scolding and consoling as they stumbled here and there among the crowded furniture with articles of aid and the despairing figure on the couch bleeding fluently and trying to spread a copy of town tattle over the tapestry scenes of Versailles. Okay. So guys, Holy smokes. He just broke her nose. Okay. We want to like take this moment to say, what does this show us about Tom? What does this show us about Myrtle? What does this show us about the world that they all live in? The first thing is, Tom ha- Tom can do whatever he wants. I'm going to ask you a question that you know the answer to. Will Tom suffer any consequence for what he just did? No, you all know that. Okay, let me ask you another question you know the answer to. Will Myrtle continue to see Tom despite the fact that he just broke her nose in public in the middle of a party? Yes, the answer is yes. And all of this has to do with social class and power. Tom has all of it. Myrtle has none of it. It's because of money and it's because of gender. And that's the thing that we keep coming back to in this book. So Myrtle is like at the bottom rung of power because she's poor and she's a female. Tom, of course, is at the tippy tippy top. And he knows this about himself. And he just keeps exerting his violent self everywhere all over the world and taking whatever he wants and doing to people whatever he wants. He is the worst But you guys, if I asked you this question, will Tom ever be punished for what he has done to other people? Yeah, you already know the answer. The answer is no, because that's what the world looks like. It it always lets Tom do what he wants. 
Okay, the other thing, wait, what was I just going to say? Oh, yeah. It's, so the moment here is about Tom and Myrtle and the nature of their relationship. But it's also speaking to these major themes of the roles of social class and gender. Maybe in the year two, 1922, maybe this is just something that transcends time and space. You should ask yourselves, we should all ask ourselves this question of, when we have an, an incredibly rich, incredibly powerful white male who does something that violates a female physically, does that man have to does that man get have to face consequences for his actions? Well, not always. Um, it has certainly happened recently, but this is something that our country has been dealing with for a long time, and it's a major theme in the book. And if we were in, if we were um, in class right now, I would say like, give me some examples, right? Like who has had to pay, who has had to suffer consequences, who has had to suffer no consequences. Um, and a lot of these cases, like Harvey Weinstein or all these other people, um, these powerful men, have for a long time they have not they have not had to face any consequences. And this is something kind of new for our society. Okay, last super random weird thing that happens at the end of chapter two. It is so bizarre. Okay, I'm just gonna read it. Okay, at the very end of this, Nick says, taking my hat from the chandelier, I followed. So it should be noted that his hat was on the chandelier because remember, he's hammered. Then it says, come to lunch someday, he suggested as we groaned down the elevator. Remember, it's him and Mr. McKee, this random photographer on the elevator. Where? Anywhere. Keep your hands off the lever, snapped the elevator boy. I beg your pardon, said Mr. McKee with dignity. I, I didn't know I was touching it. All right, I agreed. I'd be glad to. Then it says, dot, dot, dot. I was standing beside his bed, and he was sitting up between the sheets, clad in his underwear, with a great portfolio in his hands. Beauty and the Beast. Loneliness. Old grocery horse. Broken bridge. Then I was half asleep in the cold lower level of the Pennsylvania station, staring at the morning tribune and waiting for the four o'clock train. So like there's this super brief moment at the end of chapter two where Nick is standing at the bedside of Mr. McKee and he's sitting in this bed in his underwear showing Nick these photographs he's taken. I don't know what you want to do with that information, but it's really bizarre. And then Nick wakes up um, at the Pennsylvania station at four in the morning. So um, that's chapter two. That's a lot to take in, but that's chapter two. And, um, if you have questions, I have office hours tomorrow from two to three, drop in any time if you have questions. Okay. Or feel free to send me an email or DM me on social medias. Hope you guys are enjoying it. I'll talk to you soon.